Dean Daniel here with terrible news. All of my dice have been stolen. And just after that, I saw Tabletop Tim strutting around town with a new sparkly vape rig, sparkly like my dice. And I asked him about it, and he said, Oh no, I haven't seen your dice. But you want to check out this vape trick? I may be able to get them replaced. Thanks to the support of patrons. Wonderful patrons like Hedwig Carlo and a socialist hobgoblin. I can get my dice or have my revenge. Hello and welcome to the Probably Bad Podcast, a podcast which is definitely bad. I'm Pencil. I'm Paper. Today's Probably Bad RPG idea is... Every time the players level up, the campaign changes genre. So, there's sort of two obvious ways here. The obvious reasonable way is you start off with, like, you know, horror or low fantasy or some other, like, you know, relatively power low thing. And as it goes up, it goes into, like, you know, high fantasy or urban fantasy and so forth and so forth. The less obvious and much funnier way is you start off with high fantasy and as you get more powerful, the scope just narrows until eventually you're an incredibly powerful sorcerer who's specifically dealing with one goblin who lives in a farmer's walls. I mean, I feel like the way levelling up works in a lot of role-playing systems is kind of that way anyway. Like, you just get more and more skilled at more and more specific things. Hmm. I have reached level 20 and all my skills have been put into fighting goblins specifically. It's like, you know, you, you might level up in something like World of Darkness so you just get, you know, I'm a little bit good at driving, I'm kind of good at computers, and I'm really fucking good at hacking into databases specifically. Hmm. I'm going to roll 20 d10s to hack into this database. Yeah. So I think what we're saying here is you want your World of Darkness game to progressively but inevitably like go from investigative horror to hacking norms. In my defense, if there's some sort of shady organization either running or covering up all of the spooky horror stuff, they probably have a database with a lot of useful information on it. I mean, to be fair, every World of Darkness game does devolve into, like, camp superheroes that all have fangs. Like, there there are no World of Darkness games that stay hot. And yes, to people listening, that is a fact. If you think you're in one, then you're wrong. I mean, the World of Darkness game I was in stayed horror, but it wasn't, like, a very... A big long-term one, I guess? Yeah. Also, like, no, it didn't, as mentioned, I am declaring a law here. <laughs> but yes, I think... A, re- a retroactive law. Yes. I also like the idea of getting more highly specific in that the genre gets more and more specific. So you go from, like, it's fantasy, and then it's high fantasy, and then it's medieval high fantasy, and then it's medieval high fantasy investigation, and then it's medieval high fantasy private investigators, and you just keep going until eventually your your characters are like, 
the three people in this world whose entire job is to investigate whether the queen is cheating on the king in this one specific kingdom. But their entire job is just keeping an eye on her. You word that into the plot, right? You know, it's like, as you level up, like, you learn more about the world and, like, you get, like, offered jobs, for lack of a better word. And eventually, yeah, you end up as, like, the cuckoldy wizards, cuckoldry wizards. That is, that is the name of my private investigation firm. It's, it's caused a few misunderstandings with people who didn't quite know what we did. I, I don't see where any confusion would come along. Of course, the third alternative is just every time you level up, like, aliens invade or the magical realm of Atlantis bursts out of the ground. Like, you introduce new plot points when people level up, but really fucking blatantly. Oh, yeah, I swore. <laughs> something we never do on this damn podcast. I mean, that that is something, like, I have done a variation of this in, like, very long-term campaigns where it's like, okay, you've you've dealt with this spooky, scary problem. Now we're going to go over here and do some investigation or do a heist and just mm. keep doing, like, I guess more film genre than, like, genre genre. Yeah. But, like, very sort of set-piece type genres. And, like, it, I do think it is a bad idea doing it just every time you level up. Apart from anything else, you're going to run out of classic set-piece genres and end up doing, like, weird romance plots at, like, level 16. Yeah. Um, but I I don't know. I think I think it can work as like a way of keeping long campaigns interesting. Just being like, okay, for the for the next arc, we're gonna go and do some. I was about to say cottagecore battle wagons, and I'm not sure what that would involve. But I think that's a genre that should exist. So I'm sticking with I, it. I entirely support it. Just you've got like. You've all moved to a little, little, like, little village um, to retire. But, you know, the urge for adventure is still there. So um, you get your, like, wagons and just bolt knives to them and guns, and then you fight the other little villagers. Yeah, like, Mad Max, but everyone hugs at the end. Like, Mad Max, but there isn't an apocalypse. We're just bored because we've been doing nothing but plucking potatoes for the last six weeks. Miffed Max. Yeah. Irked Max. <laughs> Grumpy little Maxie. <laughs> Grumpy little Maxie is the name of my new barbarian. <laughs> so I do feel that, like, we should do the romance, like, at several 16, just your barbarian, your wizard, and your um, rogue have set up a new job um as bankers and they have money but they don't understand love and your um ranger has to play a manic pixie dream girl who will like bring light and joy to their life um this might be difficult to like lead into organically from the previous one where they were fighting space aliens on the moon well what you do 
is they've just finished with the previous genre thing, like stopping some aliens from invading the world or something. Mm. And then they get a note from whatever quest giver NPC that's just inviting them speed dating. Yeah. You've defeated the big bad, uh, and now it's time to, like, date them. Because you don't... The, the PCs have been through a lot. They need some time to just work on themselves. Yeah, like, to be fair, um, in most cases the PCs don't wait till after they've defeated the big bad to start dating him. So, True. like, really it's an improvement. I love that normally we end up with, like, oh, that's a game I would play, and this time we've ended up with, this is a thing I do. Yeah, this is a game I am playing as we speak. Like, I think you should keep power levels completely, like, independent of what genre it is. So, like, your characters are incredibly powerful. Um, you know, they can take on entire armies, they can shoot bolts of, like, city-leveling destruction. And then they end up kidnapped by a completely mundane serial killer in a completely mundane basement. This feels like one of those Batmans where Bruce Wayne gets kidnapped and he's just like, okay, how do I solve this problem without revealing that I'm Batman? It's like that, except you're under no like commitment to not reveal that you're Batman. It's like it's like a very short but very interesting arc. Yeah, it's basically you roll to attack once and then the rest of it is you um, cottage core battle carting. If anyone has any idea what a cottage core battle wagon is, by the way, because it's just a phrase that appeared in my head, do email us at probablybadpodcast.gmail.com, please. Yeah, I'm imagining just like, you know, those flower covers, travelling wagons, but they're just covered in, like, welded-on metal spikes. They're being pulled by horses, and each of the horses has a knife in its mouth that it uses to attack people. I love it. I love it so much. Yeah, I think... I think what it would be is, like, you would train the horses, like, in some kind of martial art. And then it would be like robot wars in that you put them in an arena and the horses fight each other with their battle wagons. And all of the little farmers in like their little farmer outfits will be cheering them on. Um, and whoever wins gets 100 potatoes. What is the most equine martial art? Hmm. I don't know enough about martial art. I feel you need to invent a new one just for horses. To be realistic. Violent dressage. Yeah. Uh, the horses are, of course, you know, being paid as well. They're, they're, they're like contestants. Oh, yeah. The horses are into it. Yeah, I'm sorry that you said let's go to question that I instead insisted on coming up with horse martial arts. I mean, it raised the question, so... <laughs> okay, let's go on to the actual questions. Yes, um, so Cedar Phoenix on Tumblr um, has asked, do you have a favourite class or RPG system to play? I personally have never played an RPG. So next question. Um, 
I don't know. I just I think I I like naturey things or like like rangers and druids or when that's not an option. I tend to lean towards ones that like make stuff or healers. I think I think I just want to sit there being nice to people. Yeah, I mean, I like. So my favorite system is um, powered by the apocalypse. I just think it's a very good system um, in terms of like narrative things. I prefer characters who are like more investigatey classes with the more investigatey, which are like, ah, you're going to learn things and find things out and track down clues and so forth. So I'm very stupid in real life. Um, so playing like you know a smart character is a good form of like escapism. I like, I know, I like, the one I've had the most fun playing is the Flake from Monster of the Week, which is essentially a conspiracy theorist, and you just roll to connect random bullshit and form some kind of puzzle. I just really enjoy just like you roll and you figure out that because um, this building has a picture of a clown on it, and this, this car has a free in its license plate that the villain is actually in the Coca-Cola factory. So just full on like Da Vinci coding it. Yeah. So yeah, that is my my favorite D and D class is probably I'm gonna say probably Rogue, just because it lets me do the most non-combatty things. Like, it's the best at, like, talking to people and stuff. It's probably not. Someone's going to send a message saying, actually, if you look at the stats, the best character for persuasion is a very hot barbarian. But We're going like, to get 50 messages that are just the word bard. Yeah, well, they're bard. I'm Hazel and I make a podcast with Liz called Bread and Thread, which you might enjoy if you are a fan of food or clothes or other interesting parts of domestic history. We find out interesting facts about things like regional foods, ancient breeds of sheep, um, pretty much anything domestic history. So if you'd like to know why it's illegal to import a sheep into Iceland, and what was presented by Queen Victoria to Harriet Tubman, then you might want to check out Bread and Thread. Find us at Bread and Thread on Twitter, or find us everywhere podcasts exist. <laughs> oh dear. Um, so the second question, I wasn't sure if it was a submission or a question, but I thought it would be the most fun to treat it as a question, which is just... What about a dungeon of mild inconvenience? Like, you have an orc that just pokes you. It doesn't do any damage, but they do poke you whenever they do the bar the GM pokes you IRL. I just... My immediate thought when seeing Dungeon of Mild Inconvenience was just a house that contains a small child. Like, there's just, like... Lego caltrops, there's weird substances everywhere, someone's screaming. So what you're supposed suggesting is like a home alone dungeon crawl. Would you not love to play a home alone like, dungeon crawl? So there's a, so the treasure is in a dungeon. 
Uh, and all of the, like, you know, it's been however long, so all of the monsters have died and all of the traps have, like, decayed. But a few weeks before you were go- getting to the dungeon, a group of small uh, children moved in and rigged it all up with, like, um, marbles and spiders and whatever the hell else they do. I think they swing a paint can into someone's face at some point. Okay, but picture this, okay. Hmm. It's like Oliver type stuff. Like Oliver mm. Twist. You've tracked you've tracked the thieves back to back to their den, their hideout with Fagin and that. And you you try and sneak in while they're all asleep. Mm. But the entire hideout has just been rigged like home alone and you have to yeah. get through it, get your stuff back and get out without any of the children waking up. Yeah, and like you not play that. Yeah, and like at the end, if you roll, like you have to like roll to keep quiet because if you are too loud while you know being attacked with blowtorches, um, the children wake up and start saying very hurtful things to you. Yeah, it's it's a well known fact that small children mostly do like psychic damage. Yeah, children say very mean things. Um, yeah. Old children can cast vicious mockery at will. Uh, that's just a, a life fact. You could put it, like, give it a lot of horror flavor, despite it also being kind of wacky, and just call it the children are awake. Children are the most terrifying horror entity. I think that's going to be the next World of Darkness line. Children, the home aloneing. Again, though, I would, I would play this. There was a children like themed world of darkness expansion, but for some reason it focused on you are a child being haunted by monsters rather than the far cooler. You are a group of rascally children who torment vampires. I mean, the thing is, I think both of those you could just do with regular world of darkness stuff, like just get your keeper to let you play a child. Mm. Not Keeper. What's the World of Darkness one called? I think it's Storyteller or something. It's something pretentious like that. Your GM. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> White Wolf, uh, Onyx Path, if you're listening, come at me. I've, I've challenged so and many people a, to fight. to set up some spooky children. We're really good at homebrewing. I, I, I've, like, challenged so many people to fight this session. This session? This episode. I think most of it was off mic, at least. Okay, um, so, uh, yeah, if you're listening to this, um, come fight me. Specifically, fight pencil, don't fight me. Go fight paper first. Do, do not come at me, bro. <laughs> okay, um, yeah, so, back to the actual question. Yeah, it's just, it's just a dungeon that's been home alone and is full of children. I do also like the idea of doing almost like like a training dungeon. Yeah. Or, you know what I'm thinking about now? is the Dungeons and Dragons movie, where he puts them through this like mini dungeon with like very mild traps to Mm. test their worthiness. I feel like that is a dungeon of mild inconvenience. Yeah, like there's a pit trap, but it's only like six inches deep. 
Like, oh, oh no, there's a, an acid pit. It's full of lemon juice. I think if you're going to do that, you should have all of those choke traps. And then one trap where legitimately just a massive fucking blade swings them up. It should specifically be, I think, the penultimate trap. Yeah. Like, you've gone through it, you've got a false sense of, of security. You get hit by the massive swinging blade. And then you see that there's one more trap, you're like, oh god, if that's the escalation, what's this one going to be? And it's just a sleepy mouse in the way. I like the trap, like, opens up and just gently places a sleepy mice atop, mouse atop you. <laughs> what this they don't your... tell you is that actually if you wake the mouse up, it, it will bite you. So yeah. there, there is some peril there. The mouse does have the stats of a great worm red dragon. Tarask mouse. I think if you give all mice the stats of a great worm red dragon and just don't tell the players and see how it takes them to find it. That's not relevant, but you should do it. Well, it'll okay. be fine because the basement's full of creatures who are always rats, not mice. So yeah. they won't notice. Oh, yeah. Um... Imagine what yeah. mouse traps would look like at that point, though. I, I like, like, you just go down, it's just, oh yeah, you mentioned, like, that there's just mice in the room, and I was like, okay, that's nice. But then you found a mice trap that is just, like, this massive, like, does 16d10 pile of, like, magical blades. And then one of the mice goes in, it closes, and the mouse just bursts out. And they team up with the children. Oh no. We're forming a very specific dungeon. I feel like this is no longer mild inconvenience. No, I think this is now uh, a six-year-old. This is moderate fantasy peril, at least. A, si a six-year-old and a small mouse just beat the shit out of you, discuss. <laughs> I feel like... I don't know if we've answered this question, but I feel like we've discussed this question. Our final question is anonymous. How do you run underwater games? Don't kill GM in the sea. I mean, I feel like the, the first question you have to ask yourself there is like, is this going to be one where the PCs can or can't breathe underwater? Because it's going to make for two very different games. Yeah, I guess like... So yeah, I think if it's a mermaid game, it's really just a kind of aesthetic flavouring of like, instead of the yards, it's the sea guards, and instead of crime, it's sea crime, instead of the experience points, it's sea experience points. But basically just treat it like a 1950s film, um, sci-fi film treats space, and everything is sea. Does um, that include completely ignoring that you can move in three dimensions like most yes. 50s films set in space do? Yes, obviously. Um, at one point, you're, you're sort of trapped at the bottom of like a chasm. And you have to climb up the walls, up the sea walls, sea climb up the sea walls. To get to the, the sea top. Yes. Like, yeah, I mean, you could probably do some like, Quite interesting world building with uh, 
Yeah, like there's, there's definitely some interesting peril there because you've got like underwater volcanoes and steam vents and weird mm. undersea creatures. Like, imagine an anglerfish that's big enough to eat a mermaid. Mm. Like, I like the idea of. I like the idea of like an intelligent anglerfish that can change its love to like attract different people. Isn't that a thing in the SpongeBob movie where it's disguised as like an old lady with some ice cream? Okay, to be fair, the SpongeBob movie is far from the worst resource if you're determining how to do an underwater campaign. Actually, yeah, the SpongeBob movie's pretty good. <laughs> like with all seriousness, watch the SpongeBob movie. <laughs> Um, I think if if it's not like a mermaid type thing, I do think you need to consider how are you gonna like track the air? Because how long can most people honestly hold their breath underwater? Like I know D and D has like weird breath holding rules where it's like, oh, you can hold your breath for twenty minutes, but one, holding your breath underwater is harder, and two, that still means that you have to track all of the time in the game down to the minute. Mm. I think, like... Yeah, I think it would be easier to... So, yeah, there's the obvious way of, like, oh, you have a submarine or some magical equivalents. And then it's, like... Normally you can get around, but you have tense things where it's like, oh, no, you have to leave the submarine to investigate this sad mermaid. Um, and then you have, like, the time limit of... You can only be out there so long before things start getting like. Yeah, I think I think I would go with suffocation being more of like an occasional thing. As in, normally you have breathe underwater or submarines or scuba gear or something. But like, in certain situations, it's like oh no, we're running out. Oh no, something's damaged the suit. Or even oh no, this is some kind of magical water which. Even we can't breathe. Mag magical, less breathable water. Yeah. <laughs> it's magic. That, that's pretty scary. It, it's like burning away at the suit or something, or like pushing its way in. You said suit, not soup, didn't you? I did. It's also, it's also pushing away at your suit. Um, it's a magical ocean, and like it doesn't do anything to you while you're in it, but all the soup you own just gets slowly more diluted. I mean that that would make me sad. I'm not I'm not sure that counts as a a real threat. Like that's also in the dungeon of my own income. Although I guess you know if your soup gets diluted. It's, it has fewer nutrients in the amount that you can eat, so it's it's less good for you. Yeah, I think, like, we missed the opportunity for, like, completely innocuous curses. You know? Like, the soup of, um... Like, yeah. We could put them underwater now, so it's fine. And then you have a curse where it's just like, yeah, every time... Your character rolls a dice to get an actual one, not the player, but just the character. I feel like it would be hard to roll dice underwater. Yeah. That's why you need sea dice from the mermaids. They're just like normal dice that just got rocks inside to make them heavy. 
Like they're just a rock that the mermaid throws. Um, but yeah, so um, the, the distance that the rock travels in feet is the rule. Yeah, mermaids have like a much simpler rule-based system. And what it is is the player and the GM stand like, well, swim apart from each other, and they throw rocks at each other, and whoever survives has won the contested role. Mermaid are. Mermaid RPGs are much shorter than human ones, but they are a lot more exciting. Um, yeah, okay. I've decided to just accept this. Mermaids also do do cottage water battle wagons, but there's a pool by walruses. <laughs> the walruses know martial arts. And sometimes um, the Land League and the Sea League and the Air League run by harpies and has like griffins pulling them they go to like a swampy island and they do like a freeway contest to see who wins um and the reason that there's more ocean than land is because ocean is currently winning okay so the way to stop sea levels rising is to make our cottage core battle wagon stronger yeah, which like the only reason global warming is still happening is just because our horses are shit. We need better horses to save the world. I don't understand why the griffins wouldn't just win every time against horses and walruses. Maybe that's why there's so the much air. Have got those long tusks. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's why there's so much air. So air wins, and then sea comes second, and then the land comes first. And the fire ones just don't even show up, and that's why there's yeah. very little fire in the world. Yeah. Everything changed when the fire horses karate chops me. There's little salamanders. That's why <laughs> they're not good at fighting. Their battle wagons are pulled by salamanders. Yeah, the problem is they meant to get, like, the mythical fire lizard. What they instead got was the, the amphibian. Um... So we're going very off topic, and I'm frankly... I hope this really helps you um, understand how to play an underwater game. Um, so yeah, as I said, we have an email, probablybadpodcast.gmail.com. Um, if you have a question, or if you want to send the word bard 50 times, you can either email that or message us on Tumblr. Uh, probably bad RPG ideas or at bad probably on Twitter. Uh, we have bonus episodes and homebrew and being thanked by weird voices at the start of the episode, as you will have heard. Um, if you go to patreon.com slash probably bad RPG ideas, um, we also have a patron discord where we play one shots based on probably bad RPG ideas, which Tend, tend to go away. Um, I'm not sure what that way do. is. Things certainly do happen. They do. Events transpire. Um, but it's fun. At least I think it's fun, and the people who play it come back for more. Um, so yeah, and thank you for listening, and remember day. to have a problem.